verse of the day. Today's verse comes from James chapter 1 verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. And I really think this is a powerful verse from James. James is, I'd say, one of the better books in the New Testament that was not written by Paul. And uh, basically this essentially sums it up what Jesus is, his leadership model that I keep discussing in this podcast, servant leadership. By the way, a little bit of an intermission. I actually read a great book on servant leadership. It is called Servant Leadership (laughs) by James C. Hunter. It's a great book. Nonfiction. I believe he wrote a fiction version of it as well. His name is James Two. The same guy wrote the book. The fictitious. Oh, really? Yes. I forgot exactly what that. I, I believe it's just called the servant. That's the fictitious oh, man. version where he, where basically shows a guy who is struggling with his work life. Mm-hmm. He's a workaholic. He mm-hmm. doesn't focus on his marriage. His wife's needs. So she oh. so she sends him to a monastic, like. Sanctuary I don't know exactly what you want to call it. It's like a corporate retreat, but it's oh, it's kind of like, like uh, he monastic. Went on, he he uh, he took a sabbatical. Basically, yeah. that's essentially what it is—a sabbatical. But it's like a corporate monastic sabbatical. All right. Very All right. interesting. All right. So uh, he stays there for like a week or so. Mm-hmm. And by the end of the day, he has learned the model of servant leadership through one of the mentors there, who actually was a retired executive, CEO, CEO mm-hmm. of a big Forbes 500 company. So, that sounds interesting. All right, but I digress about the book. I basically just spoiled it all for you. All right, <laughs> <laughs> but. No, Alan, you still got to go? Yes, I have to tie this into the leadership. Go ahead. Go ahead. Cut 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 our man's off like that. Mm. Hey, I'm sorry you paused. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, again, the fact that it says, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, this harkens back to the four Gospels, the different accounts of Jesus in the desert. Forty days, he is trudging. Mm-hmm. No food, no water to drink. Remember, he is a hundred percent man and a hundred percent God at the same time. He feels all of the human, like flesh desires, hunger, thirst, but he does not succumb. When the devil comes and says, "Turn this rock into bread," he says, "It is written, do not test the Lord your God." When he says, "Submit to me, and I will give you a whole kingdom." He says, no, do not test the Lord your God. This shows you the true type of leadership and his authority. He is actually commanding authority over the devil by not listening to his false teachings, essentially. False ideals, I guess you could say. Ideas, basically. I believe that is what a true leader is, Mm -hmm. standing true to the word. 
to your word, but especially to the word of God, which Jesus was the only 100% man testimonial to. So that is how it is connected to leadership. Okay. That's nice. Austin. All right, I just wanted to say uh, with Alan's verse, remember that when Brandon told us last week that a warrior for Christ can be a Christian that puts God and others before themselves, including the foolish needs or wants. And I think that's how you tie it into the verse. Yeah. All right, well, I'm going to share my person I chose from the Bible, who I think was a good leader. I chose Moses. And he was born in Israel, like, when Egypt... Or, my bad. Yeah, it's okay, it's okay. He was in Egypt, like, whenever the Israel Israelites were, like, being held as slaves. And the, uh, the Pharaoh, he was, like, afraid of all the, the men, so he wanted all the baby boys to be killed. And Moses' mother, he was, like... Or she was, like, protecting Moses for, like, three months... And then she couldn't hide hide him anymore, so she. I believe it was the pharaoh's daughter. She adopted yeah. him from the river. Well, yeah, I haven't yeah, got there yet. Yeah. I was gonna say that uh, she like put him in the water, and the little boat went right to the pharaoh's daughter. Don't mean to take your shine away. I'll no, it's just fine. <laughs> All right, and then growing up, Moses knew that he was a Hebrew, and I have a verse to back this up. Looking this way. And that, and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sands. Exodus 2.12. Because there was a Hebrew being, like, beaten on by the Egyptians, they, were, he, they pretty much, like, he killed them. So so then, uh, eventually, the Pharaoh, he found out what Moses did, and Moses fled and lived in the, a desert. He lived there for almost, like, 40 years, and then he got married and had kids. And then, like, one day, God, he hears the people of Israel crying out because of, like, needing help because of slavery. And then, eventually, like, God appears to Moses within, a, like, a flame of a bush. Like, it was like a bush on fire, but it didn't burn up. That was pretty much, like, God's message to Moses. To, like, he wanted him to rescue the Israelites from Egypt. And then uh, Moses did went to Egypt, and he talked to the Pharaoh multiple times before the Pharaoh let the Israelites leave. And God sent many signals to, like, warn him, like, I want my people to be free. Mm-hmm. And finally, once the Pharaoh's son died, his son died from the plague, uh, the Pharaoh let the Israelites go. But eventually, he did change his mind, and he came after Moses. And that's when uh, that's when uh, God, he, like, departed the seas, and Moses, like, him and his, the Israelites went through. It was like a pathway for, of dry ground. Mm-hmm. And then, like, when the Egyptians started coming, he just closed and washed them all away. And then they spent, like, 40 days together at the in, like, a mountain. And God was with them at all times. I believe the mountain was called Mount Sinai. And yes. That's where he did the Ten Commandments. Yep, I was going to get to that. <laughs> okay. Yes, <laughs> he did. He, he, he had Moses, like, bring two tablets, and God, like, created the Ten Commandments with his finger, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Inspired word of God, like the whole book. Yep, that was like his law. Mm-hmm. He was a great leader, though. He was frustrated multiple times, I'm sure. He even sa- even says in the Bible where he argues with God, like, why did you choose me for this? Mm-hmm. And he did try to give up, but God believed in him, never gave up on him. And he, he showed him, like, what God showed Moses and the others, like, what he could really do for everyone. Mm-hmm. And I found this verse. It's like, we live by faith and not by sight, Second Corinthians 5.15. 
even most of the Israelites didn't believe in God until Moses saved them, and then when God departed the seas, he they like believed him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just had to say this: I cannot remember what movie it was called. But it was an animated movie when I was a kid. I watched. I can't remember what it was called. But it was Bob Moses is about his story. Egypt. Prince of Egypt. Prince of Egypt. Ah, that's right. That was I, that whole that what you just said kind of reminded me of that. Yeah. And um, no, I agree. This is what the movie's based on. Yeah, I mean, well, duh. But, I mean, it was such a. I was sorry, it was just such a good movie. And um, about what you said, you know, I I guarantee you was probably frustrated, you know. And mm-hmm. um, I do think that you know Moses was a great leader, and he even like he led the people, and um, even if he at first he didn't want to. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I just think I I do agree that he was probably he was a very great leader. And I I agree with your decision to you know make him. Yes. I was just gonna say real quick. Mm-hmm. If you wanted to uh, reread this, the story, it's in the book of Exodus. Mm-hmm. I also did have to go back and refresh my memory, so I want to forget yeah. something important. Yeah, yeah. And there's also even like YouTube videos you could watch on it. Oh yeah, or you can watch the Prince of Egypt. Yeah, that too. But uh, Alan, what? Uh, who'd you choose? Yeah, why did you choose it? Okay. Well, first off, before I describe who I chose. Prince of Egypt is a good movie, but it is a modern sort of Hollywood yeah, take yeah, on it. Yeah, yeah. But the movie I would recommend for Moses would be the one where Charlton Heston played Moses. Oh, I know what you're talking about, too. Yeah. I know what you're talking yeah. about, too. That is more of a... I don't know what it's called. I'll, I'll look it up while you're speaking. <laughs> but anyways, okay, so the person I chose was the Apostle Paul, formerly known as Saul. And before I start going into his leadership skills. I'm just going to give you a quote-unquote brief introduction. I actually wrote a lot of notes here on him, and I'm actually going to shout out another book. And this is the book that I got most of my notes from Paul from, Mm -hmm. and it is called The Life and Letters of Paul. It is part of the Illustrated Bible Summary Series. It's a very good book. You should check it out. After this podcast, of course. What was the Exodus, Gods and Kings, which you were thinking of? That's the that's the one with Christian Bale. I'm pretty sure. No, that's a no. that's a pagan movie. But anyways. Oh well. Okay. Wow. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. So now I'm gonna introduce the character of Saul mm-hmm. and Paul. So the Apostle Paul was born on the year 5 A.D. And A.D. is Latin for Anno Domini, mm-hmm. in case you don't know. But his Jewish name was Saul, which in Hebrew means asked for, which comes into play later on the road to Damascus. But the interesting thing about Paul is that he was actually born a Roman citizen, and his official Roman name was Paul to begin with before he even converted or Apollos, it's also what they called him as well. And an interesting fact, both the Apostle Paul and King Saul in the Old Testament before David were both from the tribe of Benjamin, one of the 12 original tribes of Israel. Now he was born in Tarsus, which during that time was a bustling city a few miles inland from the Mediterranean Sea on the southeastern shore of modern-day Turkey. I'm telling you, I really wish there was a video feed here. I can just show you the whole map Mm -hmm. (laughs) of Turkey. Mm -hmm. And Tarsus was a self-governing, autonomous city 
but was still loyal to the Roman Empire. A modern day equivalent of that would be Hong Kong to China. All right, so from an early age, Paul was well-versed in Jewish scriptures and traditions. This is what made him a very influential apostle. He entered the synagogue day school and celebrated all of the Jewish holidays with his family faithfully. Those include Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, Passover, Hanukkah, etc. He learned to read and write Hebrew by copying select passages of scripture during synagogue day school. Tell you, this man was real smart. <clears throat> he learned the current dialect as well, Aramaic. Which, by the way, the movie The Passion of the Christ is entirely in Aramaic when Jesus speaks. In order to assimilate with the community <clears throat> around him, he also learned Greek. <clears throat> so that was three languages. He is trilingual. That is very impressive. <clears throat> During this time, he also learned the art of tent making, since it was required during that time for every Jewish boy to learn a trade, something to fall down. back on. And by the way, I didn't write this down, but he still made tents and sold them, even when he was an apostle of Christ. Mm -hmm. When he traveled around, that's how he had to make money. And when he was 13 to 18 years old, he was so well-versed in synagogue day school, and so exceptional of a student, that he was sent to study under the famous rabbi Gamaliel, who was a non-zealous member of the Pharisees. Very rare. Most of the Pharisees were zealous since they organized the plot to kill Jesus. And, he, and Gamaliel was the grandson of the great rabbi Hillel, which was part of the original Pharisees that persecuted Jesus. Alright, so, like I just said, Paul became a Pharisee like his father. He was known for being extremely zealous for God before and after his conversion to Christianity. That's why he is so influential, so much a leader. He despised the immoralities, quote-unquote, of the, of the Gentiles, as well as the teachings of an emerging sect of Judaism known as the Way, which basically formed into Christianity during the creation of the early Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. Technically, it's the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. That was the first church. Yeah. But that's a discussion for another time. All right, back to Paul. I, I, I understand. Being a Pharisee, fall. Uh, I said fall. <laughs> Saul believed that Jesus and his teachings didn't match up to what the scriptures said the Messiah would truly be. And due to his zeal for God, he became a feared persecutor of the followers of the way, the early Christians. I mean, he was ruthless. <laughs> there are eight passages in the Bible that describe Paul's persecutions. That's really how ruthless he was. Mm -hmm. His first act of persecution was when he ordered the execution of Stephen, the first Christian martyr, arguably. And this, you can find this in Acts chapter 7, verses 57 through 58. Chapter 8, verses 1 through 2, and it's also mentioned in chapter 22, verse 20. All right. Sorry, it appears my co-host here are getting kind of bored with me. No, 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 no. no. I'm actually, no, no. I'm actually listening. Story, yeah. I, it's, it's just, it's, sorry, oh, there was a so message talking, that was on the phone. I'm so sorry. So you're talking about the martyr right now? Uh, well, the execution Stephen. of Stephen. Yeah. Okay, so Saul was believed to have first encountered Stephen when he was debating the Jewish leaders in the province of Silesia, and that's where the big sea, where Tarsus is located. 
So basically, Paul's original homeland is where he met Stephen, Christian martyr. After participating in the execution of Stephen, the young rabbi Saul became obsessed even more than he already was with stopping the way movement. Luke describes him in Acts chapter 9 verse 1 as breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Murderous threats. Okay, now we're moving on to his conversion to Christianity. This is where the real juice happens, the key role. So not too long after Stephen's death, a Pharisee high priest, never mentions his name, ordered Saul to travel to Damascus, arrest followers of the way there, and bring them back to Jerusalem to be punished. As Saul began to approach Damascus with his companions, <laughs> he was suddenly surrounded by a light brighter than the sun, and he said, Ah! and fell to the ground with his companions. <laughs> On the ground, Saul heard a voice speaking to him in Hebrew, his language. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Saul responded, Who are you, Lord? And the voice replied, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Saul then asked Jesus what he should do, and Jesus commanded him to go on to Damascus, and further instructions awaited him there. But when he got up, Oh, I can't see! Paul was completely blind. Mm -hmm. I remember that story. And his companions had to assist him all the way there to Damascus. Now, could you imagine that, Austin? You're going to work. YMCA. You're about to walk through the door. Boom! A light brighter than the sun comes up around you and you go, Oh! Oh my god! All on the ground. Well, I guess I want to be the other lifeguard because he would be able to watch the pool. <laughs> and the Lord speaks to you. Austin, have you kept my commandments? And you're like, No, Lord. Then you get up and you are blind. Your counselor has to fire you. Could you imagine that? That that's that that's, that's really that, that puts it that puts it more into perspective for me. Yeah, me too. Thanks Sir, for the. I, I really wish you listeners could hear, could like have a video feed because I legit had acted all. Of yeah, yeah. yeah you, this fell. man actually fell. Yeah, before. he got out of his chair and he fell down. One day, <laughs> one day we're gonna get to those YouTube what videos. Does, we'll we'll get, get there. We'll get there eventually. We start small though. We start small. Yes. We start. I was acting out the zealousness of Saul, mm -hmm. then who became Paul. Anyways, now let's go back to the topic. <laughs> okay, so when Saul got to Damascus, he stayed at the house of a man named Judas on Straight Street. And that's straight like S-T-R-A-I-T. He was still blind and did not eat or drink anything for three days during this time. So he was just sitting there, blind, like rocking away like an old grandmother. He was walking. Oh, excuse me, rocking. <laughs> <laughs> so during the three days, the Lord spoke to another man by the name of Ananias, whom Paul later describes as, in Acts chapter 22, verse 12, a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. Probably Saul as well. The Lord told Ananias to go to Judas's house and ask for Saul, because Saul would be expecting Ananias Due to, due to the Lord appearing in a vision to him, telling him that a man named Ananias would call on him. So Paul is, again, being the old grandmother, waiting for Ananias. 
At first Ananias hesitated and told the Lord of all the horrible things Saul had done to his people, his zealousness, persecutions. The Lord commanded him to go. Go. Ananias obeyed Mm -hmm. after that. Because when the Lord tells you to go, Oh, yeah, you you run. You better go. (laughs) Ananias then found Saul (laughs) and laid his hands on him like he's trying to be ordained. That's essentially an ordination, basically. As soon as that happened, Saul's blindness went away. Ah, I can see again. Mm. And he received the Holy Spirit, came into him. Yes. He was then baptized and ate food for the first time. Imagine that. He must have been starving. I know I would have. I'm pretty thick. I like a lot of food. Definitely, man. I'm there, too. I'm there right along with you. Got to support the PBF. (laughs) All right. So after his baptism, this is where Saul then traveled to different parts of the world, spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here I have a list of all the places he went and the dates. Would you like me to read them to you? Uh, you can yeah. tell. You can tell us how many. I, I mean, I, if it's like a hundred, I don't think we're gonna have time. Okay, no, it's not a hundred. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he lived that long. He did. He lived until he was fifty-nine. But oh, I gotta wow. get into it. All right. So the first visit was in Jerusalem. He was there from Anno Domini thirty-seven to thirty-nine. Then he went to Caesarea and Tarsus, his homeland. That was. AD 39 through 43. Mm-hmm. Then he went to Jerusalem again. That was AD 48. I'm assuming he stayed in Tarsus for from 43 to 48. Because it didn't say that in the yeah, book. Yeah, Alright, and then he starts his first official missionary journey. And, and that is in Cyprus and Galatia. AD 48 through 50. And during this trip he wrote Galatians to the people of Galatia. Then he went to Jerusalem Council, which is the third visit once again to Jerusalem, because it's the holy site. A.D. 50 is when that happened. And then he started his second official missionary journey, and that is from Galatia to Macedonia and Greece. That's A.D. 51 through 53. During that trip, he wrote 1st and 2nd Thessalonians to the Thessalonian people. And then he started his third official missionary journey, from Ephesus, Macedonia, and Greece, A.D. 54 through 57. During that time, he wrote 1st, 2nd Corinthians, and the Book of Romans. Okay, and I'm telling you, I keep bringing up this video feed. I really wish we had one. Because I did this whole map. found this whole map online that shows the whole all the missionary journeys of Paul. Oh, that's cool. Oh, wow. So, you're... You're going more into being a leader for Christ rather than Christian leaders. More so. Well, I'm actually yeah. going to tie that in after this. Yes. I, he also was arrested when he went back to Jerusalem again for the fourth time. Mm-hmm. He seems to like going there. It's like his McDonald's hangout. Yes. Yeah. But he goes, he preaches on the barracks, they arrest him. Mm-hmm. They, have, they hold him in jail. Then he goes, he moves to Rome. And now he's imprisoned in Rome. And it eventually he writes the rest. He wrote 13 out of the 27 books of the New mm-hmm. Testament. Oh, nice. That's most of the books. I didn't know that. Yeah. He wrote most of them while he was in prison. Mm-hmm. 
and then he eventually was executed by the Romans. Wow. At the behest of the Pharisees and Jews. Yeah. Okay, so that was a lot of me uh, talking right there. It's a good story, though. Yeah, it was, a, it was honestly it was good. Really it was a really good story. But anyways, how this ties into him being a leader. He mentored several people. This is all mentioned in his writings. First, second Timothy. That's him writing to Timothy. Mm-hmm. Timothy was a young man, very young, probably like Stephen. Stephen was around 38 when he was executed by Saul before he was converted. Very young. He served as his mentor. And mentors are a great modern-day form of a leader that you want because they can really teach you as well, teach you the truth. Mm. You really want to find a good, true Christian mentor tell you the word. Yeah, if you... Tell you how to... I, I live. I see. If you if you want to get more into Christianity, you got to find a good one. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. The local pastor is really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Austin went, Alan went. Brandon, how about you? Brandon, that's you. Hey, it's me, your boy, back at it again. Um, so, I actually chose two because I'm a special boy. One, um, my first one is not really Bible-related as leader, and I chose, of course, Kobe Bryant. Yes. Now, for me personally, um, Kobe was a leader because of his work ethic. Uh, sorry, work ethic. Because he would wake up early in the mornings, go work out. People said he couldn't do it. He said, just watch. Don't watch how I am. Watch what I do. And Kind of like the story of David and Goliath. Yeah, and he became probably, if not the best NBA player to ever play the game. I mean, but just the work ethic he had to put in there. He led by example. Yes, it's always he, good. He always he was always at the gym. He was always working. It was some called it's called model mentality, and um, just the way he just worked out his work ethic was really good. Again, I just keep saying that because. The stuff he would do, I mean, every time on his day off, he was working out. Every time he was going to go somewhere, after practices, before practices, work out. Even after games, before games, full workouts. I mean, this man was always working. He never stopped. And I aspire to be like that. I want to keep working. He worked for his dreams. Five um, MVPs. I mean, sorry, five championships. Mm -hmm. And it's just amazing about what he did is just what he's done how he's led by example um the um what you would call it the charities he's done even being an example for his daughter who was also unfortunately met her demise in the helicopter crash she was also going to be going up there at the top probably going to be in the WNBA there's just a lot of things that he did and it was just, for me as a kid, you know, seeing him dunk on people, seeing him do all these crazy things at such a young age, it was inspiring. And I looked up to him because he was, just the things he said, he would try to direct you to the right path. He wanted somebody to beat him. He was always ready for that next competition. And I aspired to be like that. I aspired to be like him. And when he died, I think, that inspired for me to be more like him, you know? And I wear this shirt because it's more of a remembrance for me 
mm-hmm. to keep so I don't relax, you know. I haven't worked out in a while, you know. I haven't been the best. Um, That's necessarily not your fault with COVID. Yeah, <laughs> well, with COVID and everything. But, you know, there's always stuff you can be doing. And I just want to be like that, you know. And it's, and I'm not going to lie, it's hard. It's really hard to be like that. But I want to be that kind of guy. And just as a small little thing for Kobe, now who I chose for the Bible was Jesus. And so did my boy Adam over here. So I'm hoping, you know, I can feed back and forth a little well, bit. Well, neither of us knew we were going to choose Jesus. Yeah. But, you know. Yeah, this is kind of a, this is kind of, hey, this is kind of a good thing. It's kind of a good thing. Well, I, I didn't, for me, I didn't know we were really picking winners. So I, I gave examples of what Jesus said about leaders and things about that. So mm-hmm. that's what could you, I... Could you give us a few? I mean, if you want to go first, I... I I'm going to go ahead. Uh, okay. Uh, well, it's that's pretty much all I was talking about. <laughs> oh, okay. So it's okay. So for me, um, one of the things that Jesus did was just big for me was why we forgave people. Forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And forgiveness is not always a great advantage, you know, or is an advantage for leaders. And just think of seeing these debates, candidates, stuff like that. Forgiving people is not easy. And he even said in John 10, 10, May we value leaders who are willing to forgive. And may we not forgive them and not hold grudges that grow bitterness. And I am guilty of this. You know, not forgiving people, holding grudges, stuff like that. A leader, I don't want to say has to be pure because we all make mistakes. Mm-hmm. We're not we're not like God. We're not we're not perfect. We're not the perfect beings. We're all gonna make mistakes. Right. All but, of us have fallen short of God's mm-hmm, God's will. And you know, being being the case, actually admitting that you've you've done wrong, and admitting that you've made mistakes, and you accepting that, apologize for that. I think that's a big thing. And for not that's not maybe like the biggest thing for later, but for me, that's admitting, the hardest part. Yeah, it's the hardest part. It's it takes a big man. It takes a big man to admit their mistakes. I've always been told that all my Or even life. forgive someone for something mm-hmm. horrible they could have done. But yeah. then that's what it says in the Bible is God will forgive yep. you. Yep. We were talking about that at the end. Mm-hmm. And actually, he says in Matthews 18, 21. Um, so in the book of Matthew, he sees Peter trying to be generous by asking Jesus if he should forgive someone up to seven times. But Jesus shocks him by replying that he should forgive him seven times not for seven times but seven times 70 times seven so basically keep forgiving him mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what he's done to you it's not the easiest thing either to do and that's just one of my points um another point sorry um let me scroll up my notes here is he will always speak truth he always spoke truth and um remember jesus calls a Prius, a blood of vipers in Matthews twelve thirty four, I think it was. Um, so that's you know that's harsh words. Mm-hmm. To be honest, that's a little harsh. But um, the Pharisees, oh, sorry, the Pharisees, yes, had a great religious influence. And sorry, these notes are kind of just really for me stuff to read off of. But um. That's really all I have to say. Really, just the main thing about forgiveness. Yeah. But um. Well, yeah, it's, it's hard to forgive yeah. somebody. No. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, this will probably end off the uh, podcast, but what what really um, what I'm really going to talk about is you know some people some people look at themselves and they don't see that they can be a leader or they don't see that they can change a thing or they don't see them having any power over anything or anything at all. And you know you see Jesus doing these great things and you see him doing miracles and people forget that Jesus himself said, you know, you will do greater deeds than these. And that coming from what is mostly seen as the boss's son, you know, mm-hmm. that's kind of crazy. We see him as having this huge advantage over us, you know. Mm-hmm. He, he came from God. He is God. But uh, he also, during uh, whenever he was being pelted with stones, the fi- you know, the big old scene where he's being crucified and being yes. pelted, he said, uh, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? And basically the Jewish people said, We do not stone you for any good deeds you have done, but for blasphemy of you saying that you are God. A simple man, a mere man, are God. Remember, he is 100% man, 100% God. But, <laughs> he said, uh, We are not staining you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy because you are a mere man claiming to be God. But you got to... Yeah, <laughs> you've got you've got to remember that Jesus Himself said, even in your own works, it says that I am a son of God, mm-hmm. and it's not that in the King James Bible. It was changed a long time ago. To, it used to say a son of God, and now it says I am the son of God. But most people don't know that. Which shows that you too and everybody else around you is a son of God. You are by no means at a disadvantage to the miracles that Jesus can do. And Jesus himself says that you can do even better ones than he has ever done. And you know, you may I'm not saying that people on the side of the street saying that they're God. And then someone goes up and they say, alright, turn that stone into bread then. And then... That person goes, well, in Matthews, you know, it says the wicked and adulterous will look for a sign uh, when the time comes. So, uh, no, I'm not saying that they're, in fact, God. I'm just saying that we are all children of God. And you too can lead even greater deeds than Jesus has ever done. He said so himself. And that's just kind of how I wanted to talk about it. Right, now remember last episode I also said Jesus, when Jesus speaks he often speaks in parables and metaphors, figurative language but he wants you to take a literal meaning so when he he says something like that it's very easy for someone to get confused and say oh look I'm God now Uh, that's why I was going with the side street but essentially what he's trying to say is you are his children you are like his sheep, he is the shepherd and he what he means by doing greater deeds is spreading his message. Well, I believe that you can agree with it, Owl, and also you don't have to be a, sh- a sheep. You can be a shepherd yourself. You can lead people. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be a lamb to the slaughter. Mm-hmm. You can lead so many people and be a shepherd for well, them. Well, that's a worldly meeting, though. This is the worldly meeting. Eh, it's just, you know, it, it goes into a diff- whole different thing. But the simple fact is that you can be just the same as Jesus. And do even greater deeds than it. That's all I'm trying to say. Well, um, is there anything else? Anyone else have anything to say? Next week we're going to do one on kindness. Yes, and Adam's going to be joining us in leading that one. Leading that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, 
again thank you guys for all the support thank you for everything that you guys have done um you guys have been really appreciative and supportive of us and again we hear you guys just email us whatever you guys have to do contact us we are listening we are reading your stuff um but that's all i have to say for now um join us next week again for kindness and our boy will be leading that one and yeah i hope you guys all have a blessed day and see you next time thank you amen amen